Welcome to the Strategy Driven Professional Podcast. Skills mismatch, business acumen, and strategy execution. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this edition of the Strategy Driven Professional Podcast. Skills mismatch, business acumen, and strategy execution. The Strategy Driven Professional Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques business professionals can use to accelerate their careers and personal goals achievement. These podcasts elaborate on the principle, best practice, and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven Professional website at www.strategydrivenprofessional.com. In this episode, Raman Adel, Executive Vice President and Global Partner at BTS USA, shares with us his insights on the importance of acquiring and maintaining business acumen skills as a key component of strategy execution. We'll discuss the coming shortage of these skills and what business leaders can do to develop business acumen among their executives, managers, and individual contributors. So now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Raman Adel, Executive Vice President and Global Partner at BTS USA, a leader in the development and delivery of high-impact experiential learning initiatives that drive alignment, mindset, and capability around strategic priorities. For over 20 years, Raman has advised leaders at companies including Aetna, AT&T, GlaxoSmithKline, Honeywell, Humana, Time Warner, and many others on issues of strategy development and implementation. Raman, welcome to the Strategy Driven Professional Podcast. Great. Well, thanks for having me, Nathan. Hey, I'm thrilled to have you on our show. Your study on business acumen was absolutely fascinating, and it's a real treat for us to be able to share it with our audience. To start out with, though, I, I thought we would frame our conversation, and I wanted to ask you if you would discuss for us what business acumen is and why it's important to strategy execution? Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great opening question. We've been training business acumen with major corporations for many, many years, and we've come up with a definition of business acumen, which is an intuitive and applicable understanding of how a company makes money. And there's, from our experience, three critical competencies that really, and, and yeah, I think in most cases, make up business acumen. The first one is having a broad strategic perspective on how a business operates. And that really um, includes having a kind of a 10,000-foot a, a view on the business as well as really understanding the critical interdependencies across functions and across the divisions of a business. The second area is financial acumen, so really understanding the drivers of growth, profitability, cash, things like key ratios and other drivers of, of, of profitability in the business. And then the third area is market orientation, so really a deep understanding of the customer, what drives customer purchasing behavior, understanding the external 
factors uh, in the marketplace, et cetera, et cetera. So those really are the three key drivers, a strategic perspective, having a strong financial acumen, and then being market-oriented. And of course, there's other things as well, like a global mindset and other, other kind of sub-competencies. But those three that I just listed are the most commonly identified skills that leaders and organizations need to be effective. And certainly business acumen is very important when it comes to strategy execution. Um, if you think of a company in its startup phase, you usually have an entrepreneur who's running around trying to raise money and trying to get the business started. And if you go to a, a large, mature, complex organization, there you know, leaders are dealing with different issues. They're usually dealing with navigating across functions or cross divisions. They're dealing with much more complex financial measures. And regardless, in all cases, business acumen and business skills are fundamentally what makes a business successful. And without having good business acumen and good business skills in an organization, it's, it's literally impossible to uh, execute effectively. So business acumen really is the foundation of any business and, and is essential for strategy execution. And one of the things that I found just very telling that came out in the survey was that there's a significant business acumen skills shortage that exists in our marketplace today. Would you tell us what you found to be the, I'll call it the breadth and the depth of this skills gap? Yeah, absolutely. In our, our survey, over 65% of the leaders that responded agreed that a lack of business acumen limits the organization's ability to realize their strategic goals to a strong extent. So this is a major, major issue for a majority of the, the leaders that we surveyed. And furthermore, at both the manager and senior manager level, the business skills that were identified as being most important by respondents were also the capabilities most in need of development. So those were, the, those were significant gaps in those skills. And this is a real issue for organizations, whether they realize it or not. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of organizations probably don't realize and haven't identified this as a gap, mm -hmm. so I think it's a big opportunity for them. Did you get a sense of how long this gap might go on for? Is is there a trend in the marketplace that the study revealed? Well, it was interesting there as well. We asked these leaders, you know, what were some of the biggest challenges or obstacles um, facing organizations? And as you might guess, economic uncertainty was the number one, you know, concern. But the second mm -hmm. most area was around skills shortages. And skills shortages was, was identified as the second most cited major obstacle inhibiting their company's ability to meet their strategic goals. And this is likely only to get worse over the next few years. In our survey, there is a great quote from Mike White, who's the president and CEO of DirecTV. And he talks about how currently we're, we're seeing 80 million baby boomers who are starting to retire, and that, that, that retirement period will be over the next five to seven years. And they'll be replaced by 40 million Gen Xers. So that's a two-to-one ratio of people exiting the workforce and being replaced. So given that, skill shortages is even going to become a bigger issue going forward. So with this constraint, companies better get a lot better at developing their talent now, or they're going to have some really big problems moving into the next few years. And I often see, too, companies in some respects creating the gap themselves because as they promote up 
within the organization, I find that often they focus on promoting what I call the super technician, the person who is really good, say, as an individual contributor in performing their role, they get promoted to being the manager. And yet there isn't a lot of assessment on business acumen, on leadership skills, all of those aspects that it takes to be a successful manager when that selection happens. And so that gap gets created very early on and then can carry forward. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Raman, we've talked about various levels of the organizations, uh, differentiating between executives and managers and, and so forth. Do business acumen skills vary by organizational level? Yes, business acumen skills do vary by organizational level. And we looked at two different uh, layers in in an organization, Uh, what we called senior leaders, which was really your head of business unit, SVP, VP, executive, C-suite leader. And then we looked at all other managers. And very much as you might expect, the, the, the top business skill that was required for those two levels were uh, very very much around execution of strategy. In the first case, it was really the ability to develop a clear strategy and direction for the organization. And then at the manager level, it was really about taking actions to reach targets and commitments, so really that tactical execution of strategy. So that, that made a lot of sense, and I think it is very intuitive. There was also a whole other set of factors that we looked at that came out at equally high importance to both groups of leaders, and those were financial acumen, decision-making, cross-functional collaboration. There was a category for each of them that that stood up above the rest, not quite as high as setting strategic direction and and executing on tactical, but it was higher than the rest. And in the case of the senior manager, that was demonstrating an understanding of the customer, the marketplace, and and the competition. So one of the areas that's very important for senior leaders is to be able to look externally at the marketplace and understand the trends in the marketplace, and more importantly, understand the customer and what's going on in terms of their changing preferences and buying attitudes and things like that. At the manager level, uh, the one that stood out was setting high standards for customer relations. And when you think about um, a manager in an organization, they really are your front line to the customer, and they're really expected and needed to be that, that, that representative for the customer to really ensure that the customer is satisfied, that you have strong relations with that customer, they're retained, and they're, they're made as profit, profitable as possible over time. So it's kind of interesting that you know, setting the strategic direction, executing on strategies, all the other business acumen factors, such as financial acumen, came out as being very important. But this focus on the external market and the customer place was one that, that, that stood out and um, wasn't one that you, I think you necessarily would, would prioritize as being so high in the ranking, but it really did come out um, as being an area of importance as well as a gap that, that organizations needed to develop. Yeah, that is very interesting. And I almost wonder if the external focus doesn't exist as, as the big gap because we get so comfortable with that that we can tr- control. So I can control various other aspects of the business acumen that are internal to my organization, I have more difficult uh, time controlling those external factors, and so I don't pay attention to them as much. I don't get as well-versed or as experienced in dealing with that. Yeah, I agree with that. So, Ramit, what actions are senior leaders taking to close the business acumen skills gaps within their organization? 
Yeah, organizations um, and le senior leaders in organizations are doing a lot of different things to to uh, to close the skill gap. And, and you know, as you would think, they're they're the typical things from uh, trying to attract the right people, um, giving people on-the-job experience, uh, engaging in formal coaching and mentoring programs, and engaging in internal training or learning and development type, type activities. And obviously, some of these activities are practiced more than others, and some are more effective than others. But I would say that organizations are doing a broad range of things to build these skills at any, any given point of time. Now, one of the things that I found interesting that came out from the study was that executives are anticipating a reduction in the reliance of on-the-job training and an increase in learning and development activities in order to close the business acumen skills gap. Now, having been a, a nuclear plant operator, I've always been one that has greatly valued the hands-on training and, and have found it to be more imp impactful in my own learning experience. What do you see is driving the change in this trend? Interestingly, on-the-job experience was the, it, it is the most frequently used way of building these skills in an organization. Over 85% of respondents in our survey indicated that this was most frequently used to build, build the business acumen skills. However, when asked what they expected in terms of the usage of this methodology in the future, over the next five years, they expected this this way to, this may, way of developing the skills to go down from 85% down by by over 40%. Now we asked ourselves why we actually went out there and um, asked some of our um, clients and some of the respondents from the survey, you know, why do they see this going down? And uh, there's a number of reasons. One of them is to do on the job um, learning. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time um, to supervise people, to coach them, to mentor them. There also also tends to be inconsistency. So some leaders may do a better job of ramping people up and giving them the skills where others may not be as attentive. So you may have some real inconsistency in the way people do things. And I think most importantly, and you mentioned you know the nuclear <laughs> nuclear example, there's also risks. So if you put somebody out there and you have them learn by doing on the job, there are the risks that they could make some mistakes. And these mistakes can really be very, very costly. They could be something that could lead to a company running out of cash, or it could be something that could really anger a customer, and as a result, the customer may leave your organization. So when we, we've spoken with senior leaders in, in, in corporations, they've really cited the risk factor as being something that is very concerning to them. When you talk about learning and development, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of guessing you're probably thinking ahead to you know the impact, or actually, you mentioned the 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 role of training. I think training can be very effective, especially when it's experiential in nature. So, when you do something that really is reflective of what people deal with in a day-to-day world, you know, world, and you let them go and practice doing the things that you want them to do on the job, but you do it in a risk-free environment, that can really alleviate some of the negative consequences. So there there is a trend toward more formal learning approaches to really building those skills that they kind of take away some of that risk. I have uh, had, again, through my nuclear experience, the benefit of experiencing a lot of simulation time. Uh, in fact, every nuclear power plant in the U.S. has a full-scope simulator that they simulate 
the operations of the plant in and they use to train their operators. According to the study, the use of business simulations has been found to be more effective than lecture-based classroom learning. Again, I would wholeheartedly agree. What do you see as being the advantages of those business simulations over the lecture-based learning that we've used in the past? That's a great question. So um, business simulations um, are a highly impactful way of, of delivering learning and changing behavior and driving results in organizations. Um, there's actually been some interesting research that's looked at the impact of various forms of learning on the learner. And one study in particular that was done by corporate universities uh, several years ago, actually, looked at the various forms of, of teaching and in particular looked at the retention. So what do people retain from what they've learned in a, let's say, a classroom type setting? And unfortunately, reading and lecture, which is the way it seems like a lot of our kids learn in schools these days, does not lead to a very high level of retention among the learners. Somewhere between 5 to 10% of what is taught is actually retained. And they actually have a pyramid that kind of, kind of looks at it. So that would be at the top of the pyramid. At the bottom of the pyramid, where you have a much bigger impact, one area, which is what simulations are all about, is practice by doing. So really engaging people and let them practice doing things that leads to a much higher level of retention somewhere in the range of 75%. And then they also have group discussions, so letting the learners actually discuss the topic, share best practices, that also is a very high level of, of retention as well. So you know, the, the research really shows that if you want to have an impact on the, le the learner, you really need to engage them in active learning activities where they're really doing and they're, they're learning from each other. One of the other interesting statistics that came out of our study is that we found that currently business simulations are, are only used by a relatively small fraction of large corporations, somewhere in the 10 to 15 percent range. And over the next five years, this is projected to grow about 140 percent. So there's a strong expectation that simulations will be even more broadly used than they are today. At the same time, ex expert le lectures, which are heavily used today, are projected to decline by 32%. So I think that really helps kind of solidify the argument that business simulations really are an effective way of, of getting the point across for people. So that's very interesting. You know, one of the challenges that I receive frequently regarding simulations is can they be accurate? You know, we have such a, a complex marketplace that we operate in today. Can a business simulation truly model enough of those complexities to be accurate to provide a quality learning experience? Well, let me make a couple couple points about about that about that. Over the years, there's been philosophical debate about the merits of generic simulations versus customized simulations. And my experience in general, um, after experiencing both generic and custom simulations and doing this for a very, very long time, is that simulations in general are a great learning experience. People go through them. They're usually competitive. You have te teams engaged in competing against each other. They have a lot of fun with them. They learn a lot from them. If the simulation is generic, there is a risk that they go through and say, hey, that was a great time but they're not really sure how to bridge what they've learned in the simulation back to the job and really apply it. 
with custom simulations where you actually model a business or a process or a function, there, if it's well done, people go through it and they not only have a great time with it, they compete, but they also learn and they, it's a lot easier for them to apply what they've learned back on the job and really have a strong business impact. So generally, from my experience, custom simulations are, are the way to go to really drive impact in, in your business and drive strategy execution. With regard to accuracy, if you wanted to very, very accurately model a business, you know, it would take you a year to run a year of your business, right? I mean, you can get that right. accurate, right? <laughs> but obviously, people don't have that much time to, to dedicate. So the art of designing a business simulation really starts first with the end in mind. So what is it that you're trying to accomplish with your business? So what are the metrics you're trying to drive? What are the strategies you're trying to further? And then it works backwards to say, okay, what are the behaviors that we as leaders in our organization need to exhibit to be effective in driving those strategies to drive those goals? And then what are the specific skills we need? And then based on that, you can really identify the critical learning objectives of the simulation. And then based on that, that can govern what level of detail and what decision variables go into the simulation so that it's, it's accurate enough to drive the behavior change on the back end and the business impact on the back end. But it doesn't necessarily need to be so accurate that you're, you're mirroring the day-to-day -day reality to a T, right? So there's really an art that balances the ultimate learning objectives that you're trying to accomplish with the complexity or the simplicity that you're, you, you need to achieve. Okay, a bit of art mixed in with science. No question. Raman, for leaders of both small and large companies who want to learn more about business simulations and, and maybe want to take that step to implementing them within their own organization, where might they go to get such insight? Well, I would definitely recommend that they visit our website at www.bts.com. And under our News and Insights section, we have a whole bunch of resources ranging from research, white papers, articles on business simulations, experiential learning, as well as strategy execution. So that would be a really good starting point for them to go to learn more. Excellent. And we'll put a link to bts.com in with the article that accompanies this podcast. So with a single click, our listeners can get right to your website. Great. Well, thanks so much, Nathan. I appreciate it. No problem. And Raman, I want to thank you not only for your time, but for sharing your insights on the significant impact business acumen is having on strategy execution and the critical skill shortage that business leaders are facing in that area. I hope our listeners will take the time to assess their organization's capability and to further investigate the business acumen skills acquisition methods that you've suggested and to visit the BTS.com website. So thank you again for joining us. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Strategy Driven Professional Podcast. I would like to personally thank Raman Adel for being with us today and sharing his insights on the importance of acquiring and maintaining business acumen skills as a key component of strategy execution. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider recommending us on iTunes and visiting our website at www.strategydrivenprofessional.com. 
You can find more information about Raman Adele and BTS USA at www.bts.com. Until next time, so long.